that needs training. Training separates people. Training distinguishes people. The degree to which you are trained is the degree to which you get better. The more training you get, the better you become. Training actually optimizes you as a person. Training will make the best out of you. There is a general call to honor for all saints. Honor is a big deal where God is concerned. You must make up your mind to learn how honor works. You must make up your mind to learn what is the value and the premium God has placed on honor. There is no honor of God outside of the honor for men that God sent. The word of God is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Be blessed today as God's servant, Reverend Peter Ayo Alabi, brings you God's word. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Are you ready for the word tonight? Yes, sir. Yeah. Turn your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 5. John's Gospel, chapter 5. John's Gospel, chapter 5. Hallelujah. And we're going to read from 23, that's verse 23 to 24. John's Gospel, chapter 5. There is John's Gospel. There is John's Gospel. There is John's Epistle. We are in John's Gospel. Tell your neighbors, we are in John's Gospel. Not in the Epistle. And it reads that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Somebody say, that's me. That's me. He says, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So I want to emphasize verse 23 one more time. He says, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. And then he says, He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which sent him. Last week we looked at the honor of God. And don't forget we're teaching from the subject, Honor to whom it is due. And the series title is Spiritual Home Training. Spiritual Home Training. First Timothy 3.15, Paul is saying to Timothy, That if I tarry long, know how thou orders to behave thyself in the house of God, that is, the church of the living God, which is a pillar and ground of the truth. So Paul is saying to Timothy, There is a way to behave in church. There is a way people who are born again behave. And that is what we call spiritual home training. Let me ask you, and say, do you have some of that? Yes. You are not sounding like you are bold. <laughs> Look your neighbor eyeball to eyeball. Say, do you have some spiritual home training? Uh -huh. I'm expecting you to get an answer from your neighbor. Wait on them to give you an answer. Say, tell me. I'm asking you to tell me. Do you have some spiritual home training? It's possible to be born again and lack training. Salvation is a gift. Training is not. Salvation is a gift. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Did you see? It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So salvation is a gift. You are saved by grace. That grace is a gift of God to you. The faith with which you got saved is also a gift of God to you. But training is not a gift. 
Training has to be acquired deliberately. Training is not a gift. Training has to be acquired deliberately. Training has to be acquired deliberately. The good news is that there is hardly any part of life or any function in life that we cannot be trained for. You can be trained for everything. You can be trained to be a good parent, trained to be a good father. There is training for motherhood. There is training for sonship. There is training to be a leader. There is also training for followership. There is a way to follow. Many people think that leadership training is what they need. In most cases, I've found that bad leaders were once bad followers. In fact, there is hardly a bad leader that is not a bad follower. Because if you are a good follower, you will be a good leader. I'll say that again. There is hardly any bad leader that is not, first of all, a bad follower. Because if you, are, if you can make it to be a good follower, you'll be a good leader. That's why you see Paul saying things like 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul is a follower of Christ. And what makes you followable is that you yourself are a follower. What makes you followable is that you are, first of all, yourself a follower. It is dangerous to follow a man who follows no man. I've said this many times over the years. It is dangerous to follow a person who is not following anyone. Everybody must have a leader in front of him. There must be someone in front of you that you're following. Someone you look up to. Someone that gives you a sense of direction. And I'm not talking about saying you are following the Holy Ghost or Jesus Christ. As we've seen now in John 5.23, Jesus said, The way to honor God is to honor the people he sent. There is no honor of God outside of the honor for men that God sent. There is no honor of God that you can express outside of giving honor and showing honor to those God sent. So you've got to understand this. So training, training is essential. Training actually optimizes you as a person. That is, training will make the best out of you. Every man is ordinary until he is trained. Every man is ordinary. When I say man, I mean all humans. Everyone is ordinary until they are trained. When you are not trained, you remain ordinary. That's the reason why two people can be born by the same father. And in due course or in the process of time, one goes and joins the military. And they've trained him and equipped him to handle deadly weapons. And you see him sitting beside his sibling, born by the same parents, raised in the same home. But he has become extraordinary by virtue of the training he has been exposed to. He can do things that the other person cannot do. Training separates people. Training distinguishes people. I said again, training separates people. Training distinguishes people. Training separates people. Training distinguishes people. A person who went to school and got educated and went so far in their education. Did you see? They might have grown up in the same environment as somebody else. But their training has set them apart. Their training has made them stand out. And you need to understand that, you see, in every area of life, training will always make a difference in your life. Training will always make a difference in your life. Even in the things of God, as we are seeing now, many Christians are born again. Of course, a Christian should be born again. Although you, you go to a place where you see a person who claims to be a Christian but is not even born again. A Christian should be born again. What does it mean to be born again? To be born again doesn't mean that you are actually just carrying the title of a Christian. Because you need to understand that the word Christian in itself was a name given to believers by unbelievers. In the book of Acts at Antioch, the people who called them Christians were not Christians. Were not believers. They looked at believers and named them Christians. Followers of Christ. Because when they beheld their manner of life, they saw the traces, the DNA, the qualities of Jesus in them. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? 
And that's why you notice that the next time you hear the word Christian again, it came from the mouth of a heathen, a king. Before Paul stood, he said, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. But you notice oftentimes in the writings of Paul, he refers to us as believers. Refers to us as sons of God. Refers to us as followers of Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? Now, is it wrong to be called a Christian? I'm not saying it's wrong. This is what I'm saying now. I just wanted to know that to be a Christian is not as important as being born again. The real thing is to be born again. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? The real thing is for you to be what? To be born again. John 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, verse 3, he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Did you see that? Jesus told him, a man must be born again to see God's kingdom. Verse 7, he said to him, I said to you surely, you must be born again. You must be born again. Jesus didn't say you must be a Christian. He said you must be born again. You must be born again. Tell your neighbor, say you must be born again. You didn't say it like you mean it. Look at your neighbor, say I say you must, be, I put it to you. Yeah, you, you must be born again. You must be born again. Did you see this? And so you understand, therefore, to be born again means to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. It means to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Many people have different things they think about being born again. Something being born again, like I said, is to be born in a Christian home. <laughs> your dad is a Christian, your mom is a Christian. That doesn't mean you are born again, my friend. <laughs> I've told you before, to even receive healing, miracles, does not mean you are saved. God can heal you on credit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He can heal you on credit. Jesus healed a lot of people on credit. When God heals a sinner, heals the unbeliever, what is he doing? He gave him healing on credit because healing is children's bread. God has given him the healing on credit. So receive this life now so that what you got on credit, you can now really get it as a right and a privilege. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But when a man who is not born again receives the wonders and the goodness of God, the goodness of God and wonders of God he receives does not mean he's now a child of God. God has just been benevolent to him. God has just shown him his mercy. Go to Matthew 5. Go to Matthew 5 and we're going to read verse 45. Hallelujah. And you notice that God is kind unto all. And then he says in verse 45 of Matthew 5, this is the Lord Jesus speaking, that ye may be the children of your father, which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on how many? The good only? Come on. On who? The evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on who now? Come on, talk like your voice is yours. On who? And the unjust. Go to Luke's gospel, chapter 6. Luke's gospel, chapter 6. And we're reading from verse 35. Luke's gospel, chapter 6. And we're going to read from verse 35. And he says, this is Jesus again speaking. But love ye your enemies, and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful. Come on, read. And to who? And to the evil. Did you see this? He's kind to the unthankful. He's kind to the evil. That's God's nature. But now when God is kind to the evil, does that make them his children because of that kindness? No. So many people have received miracles and yet they are not born again. Did you see what I'm saying? And many have mistaken that to mean they are saved. Oh, I got healed in that, that crusade. Therefore, I must be a child of God. No, you're not. That you got healed doesn't mean you are saved. That you received the miracle of financial provision does not mean you are saved. The way to be saved, Romans 10, 
Paul quoting, and we looked at this on Sunday, if you were in church on Sunday, Paul quoting from Deuteronomy 30, the teaching of Moses, starting from verse 6 said, The righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend, that is to bring Christ from heaven? Or who shall descend, that is to raise him back from the dead? In verse 8 he said, But what says it? The word is nigh thee, even in thine mouth and in thine heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he says, thou shalt be saved. What that tells you clearly is that if you have not done any of this, you are not saved. You are not saved. It is with the heart, verse 10, man believeth unto righteousness. And then he says, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now, notice it tells you what to believe unto righteousness. He didn't just tell us in verse 10, with a hard man, believe it unto righteousness. He tells you what does a man believe unto righteousness. He believes that God raised Jesus from the dead. Because it is the resurrection of Christ that brought our justification. Who was delivered for offenses, Romans 4, 25, but raised again for our justification. So it was the fact that Christ rose from the dead that brought justification to us. So when a man believes in the resurrection of Christ, he is justified. He is made righteous. He has right standing with God. Now God looks at that man and there is no record of sin against him. There is no condemnation to that man. That man, as far as God is concerned, can stand before God without a sense of guilt, without a sense of inferiority, without a sense of condemnation. And it's not just for now, it's forever. Come on, I said it's not just for now, it's forever. He's righteous yesterday, he's righteous today, righteous forever. Well, I said to myself, I'm righteous now and I'm righteous forever. And hear me this, this evening, you are as righteous as you will ever be. Yes, you are not going to get more righteous yes, and you cannot get less righteous. Yes, you are as righteous as you can ever and will ever be. Yes, it is not a progression. Yes, it is the imputation of his divine nature into us. Is somebody hear what I'm saying? Yeah. He made him to be seen who knew no sin. That we might be made, not become, made the righteousness of God in him. We were made. When you manufacture something, it has become what it should become. Yes, sir. Is somebody hear what I'm saying now? Yeah. This microphone will not become more of a microphone tomorrow. It is already as much of a microphone as it will ever be. Because it was manufactured to be a microphone. It was manufactured as a microphone. You were manufactured, factory fitted righteous. If somebody hear what I'm saying now, has nothing to do with how you feel, has nothing to do with what somebody thinks, has nothing to do with even what you think. It is the finished works of Christ. He came to earth, died for your sins, was buried three days. On the third day, rose again to the right hand of the Father, never again to die. So nothing you say or feel or think can change that. I am the righteousness of God. <laughs> in Christ. <laughs> you see, outside of Christ, you are not. But in Christ, you are. I'll say it again. Outside of Christ, you are not. But in Christ, you are. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Ooh, glory to God. That's the truth. Whether or not you feel like it, whether or not you, you think like it, but you are righteous. I like the way one man of God said it. He said, God is righteous in making the sinner righteous. Wow. 
And that's the truth of it. God is righteous in making a sinner righteous. And the reason is because by the reason of the finished works of Christ, everything needed to make a man righteous has been done. The moment a man believes in that work, that man is made righteous. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness, Genesis 15, 6. Just because he believed. Not because he did anything or said anything. Just because he believed. It was counted unto him for righteousness. That is how men are made righteous. By believing. By believing. By believing. Righteousness does not come by doing. It comes by believing. You've got to believe. But we see what we are supposed to believe. He says that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And that's what we read in John 5, 24 just now in our opening text. And the Lord Jesus himself is speaking. And he's saying to the people, he said, he that believeth in me. He said, that person shall no longer come into condemnation. But he is passed from death to life. He is passed from death to life. He shall not come into condemnation. Shall not come into condemnation. You know that was, there is no condemnation to him anymore. Yeah. By believing in Christ. He said it. Once a man believes, he will not come into condemnation. So a man comes into condemnation because of his unbelief. Because of his unbelief. So you see, the gospel is preached so that man can hear and believe what he heard. Galatians 3, 5. He therefore that ministered to you the spirit and walking miracles amongst you, do it to you by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith. The way a man gets saved is by hearing the gospel and believing the gospel. Because the hearing of the word itself is the hearing of faith. Why? Because the word of God imparts faith. 10.17 Romans, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hearing by the word of God. That hearing of God's word ministers faith to the human heart ministers faith to the human heart does not demand it it imparts it it imparts it it will interest you to know that the preaching of the word of god not only imparts the faith for salvation it will also impart faith for healing because in Lystra, in Acts 14, the Bible says Paul was preaching. There was a man there, impotent from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul preach. He heard Paul preach. And Paul fastened his eyes on that man, steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that the man had faith to be healed. Where did the faith to be healed come from? That's Acts 14, 8, 9, and 10. It came from hearing the words which Paul spoke. From hearing the words which Paul spoke. What word did Paul speak? The gospel of Jesus. You see, the word of God will impart to you the faith for what you need. The man needed healing. The gospel imparted faith for healing into his heart. When a man is already born again, at every situation where you are hearing the ministry of the word of God, the faith for the solution to your situation will be stirred up inside you by the word. It will be stirred up inside you by the word. So much so that I may not be preaching about healing. But if it is healing that is your critical need. The word of God will stir up the faith to receive healing. If it is a financial situation. I may not be preaching about finances. But the word of God will stir up faith in you. For your financial needs to be met. I may not be preaching about a breakthrough in your marriage. But when the word is preached. It will stir up the faith. To bring peace and harmony and breakthrough in the area of marriage. If it's childbirth, you're trusting God for. I may not be preaching about fruitfulness, but when the word is preached, it will stir up the faith. It will stir up the faith. Hebrews 11, 11, by faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive because she had judged him faithful who had promised. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? Somebody is receiving faith to conceive now. That faith is being stirred up. 
He's been stirred up. He's been stirred up. He's been stirred up. That's what the word of God does. The word of God never imparts fear. The word of God always imparts faith. When the word is preached, faith is stirred up. Faith is stirred up. Faith is stirred up. Fear dissipates. Doubt dies. When the word is preached, faith rises. Faith rises. The fires of faith are stoked up by the preaching of the word. When you begin to hear the word of God preached, it begins to fire up the faith of God inside of you. What you thought was not possible becomes possible in your heart. You begin to see yourself having it. You begin to see yourself doing it. You begin to see yourself going to places the devil was threatening you will never get to. Because the word of God stirs up faith in the heart of man. That man at least definitely began to see himself walking. Because of the faith of God coming through the preaching of the word. When the sounds from the preaching of the gospel gets into your ears, it ministers faith into your spirit. The airwaves that proceed from the sound of the preaching of the word are airwaves of faith. Airwaves of faith. It will clean up the contamination in your heart. To clear the atmosphere for the will of God to be done and established. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's the reason why the more you expose yourself to the preaching of the word of God, the stronger you get in faith. The stronger you get in faith. The stronger you get in faith. Somebody say, I'm getting stronger in faith. Say it again. Say, I'm getting stronger in faith. Doesn't matter what I feel. Doesn't matter what I've seen. Doesn't matter what is going on in, the, in my environment. I'm getting stronger and stronger in faith. Shout amen, somebody. Glory to God. And that's why salvation, what happened was that faith came into our spirits. And that's how come we got born again. So that is how come a man gets saved. That is how men are saved. In the house of Cornelius, Peter was preaching in Acts 10. In verse 43, the Bible says, Peter began to speak to them and said, To him, that is to Jesus, give all the prophets witness, that anyone who believes in him should receive remission of sins. And the Bible says in verse 44, While Peter yet spake, the Holy Ghost fell on all who heard him. Notice the Holy Ghost fell on those who heard. Why? Because when they heard the gospel, they believed what they heard. The Holy Ghost is given only to those who believe. John 7, 37, 38, 39. Jesus is preaching on the last day of the feast. Cried with a loud voice and said, If any man thirst, let him come and drink. He said, He that believeth in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The Bible says, This spake ye of the Spirit which should be given to those who believe. For the Holy Ghost had not been given because Jesus, verse 39, had not been glorified. Being glorified, that means he had not been raised from the dead. Did you see this? But notice he said, This spake ye of the Spirit. The Holy Ghost that will be given to those who believe. So in the house of Cornelius, the Holy Ghost fell on all who heard. Because all who heard believed. All who heard believed. Otherwise, the Holy Ghost wouldn't fall on them. The, the indwelling of the Holy Ghost is in fulfillment of the promise of the Father to those who believe. 
I said again, the indwelling of the Holy Ghost is the fulfillment or is in fulfillment of the promise of the Father to give the Spirit to those who believe. That promise was made unto Jesus the Son. The Father made the promise to his Son, Jesus Christ, and said to him, did you see, I'll give you the Spirit. Jesus said that in Luke 11. He said, if you've been evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Spirit? Did you see this? Because he is his own Father's Son. The promise his Father made to him is to give him the Spirit. He is the one who received the Spirit and shed him forth over us. That's why out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. He's not talking about your belly. He's talking about his belly. His belly. He's the one who gave us the Spirit. He's the one who gave the Spirit. Are you seeing this tonight? Yes, and that's why in Luke chapter 24, he said to them, I send upon you the promise of the Father, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And so they had to go, verse 49. So he said, I will send the Spirit to you. So you see, the Father gave the Spirit to the Son. The Son gave the Spirit to the church. And you will notice in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter said the same thing, 31, 32, 33, because he was explaining to them what was going on. They saw people filled with the Holy Ghost. He said of Jesus, having been exalted to the right hand of the Father, and having received this promise of the Father, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. So it is Jesus who shed forth the Spirit. That shedding forth the Spirit is coming out of his belly, flowing out of his belly to those who believe. And I'm a believer. And so I have the Spirit of God. Do you have the Holy Ghost tonight? Oh, I wish you would talk like your voice is just, do you have the Holy Ghost tonight? Somebody say, I have the Holy Ghost. Say it again, say, I have the Holy Ghost. Be seated, be seated. You see it in First Thessalonians 4, 8. Again, Paul speaking said, He therefore that despised, despised not man but God, who had also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Did you see that? Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Ghost. And we have him now. For example, if the person wants to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, he doesn't need to start praying and say, God, give me the Holy Ghost. He's been given. Yes, what a man needs today is to what? Receive. Is to receive. You know, say, Lord, give me the Holy Ghost. God has given the Spirit. I said, God has given the Spirit. I said, God has given the Spirit. So a man only now needs to what? Receive the Holy Ghost. That's why you notice even Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he said to his disciples, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. He didn't look up to God again and say, Father, give me the Holy Ghost. No. He looked at them and said, You now receive the Holy Ghost. You receive the Holy Ghost. He is the seal of our redemption. That is the proof that a man is born again. The spirit of God in him. The proof of being born again is not because your name is in the membership list of a church. The proof of being born again is the Holy Ghost in you. Because that is what God is looking out for at the rapture. If the spirit of he that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Romans 8, 11, he said, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the same spirit that dwells in you. So in other words, God is saying, I don't need to begin to look at people's faces at the second coming of the sun to know who is supposed to be raptured. No. He said, I put my Holy Ghost in those who are mine. And so on that day, those who have the Holy Ghost in them, we will have the Holy Ghost in us. We will be caught up. We will be quickened. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, he said, we shall be changed. Who is going to change us? The Holy Ghost. Guess what? Between when we receive Christ and that day, he's changing us too. He's changing the way we think, changing the way we talk, changing the way we walk, changing our lingo, changing everything about us, bringing everything in alignment to the will of God perfectly. 
He is the spirit of change. <laughs> he is the spirit of change. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of change. He is the spirit of change. He is in the business of changing people, transforming lives. He is not refurbishing lives, he's transforming lives. The Holy Ghost is not refurbishing behavior, he's not modifying character, he's changing it altogether. He'll turn you into a brand new man, he'll wash you clean, he'll cause your mind to be free from all the contaminations of the world. He'll it will save you from your stinking thinking and put kingdom thinking inside of you. It will cause your mind to become sound. It will give you a sound mind. My God. When Paul spoke to Timothy, he's speaking about the oppressions of the Holy Ghost because he started in verse 6, 2 Timothy 1. He said, I put you in remembrance to stir up the gift of God, which is indeed by the putting on of my hands. He says, for God, verse 7, has not given us the spirit of fear, but the spirit, notice, the spirit of oppression, the spirit of love, of power, and a sound mind. Why? The Holy Ghost is the one that is your power. The Holy Ghost is the one that gives you a sound mind. The Holy Ghost is the one that renews your mind from within a sound mind is a spirit of oppression. Power, of course, is a spirit of oppression. And of course, love is a spirit of oppression. Because in Romans 5, 5, he said, hope makes not ashamed. He said, the love of God, he said, I brought our hearts by the Holy Ghost. By the Holy Ghost. He said, I'm struggling to forgive. Yield to the Holy Ghost. You won't struggle again. Struggling to walk in love. Yield to the Holy Ghost. It won't be a struggle anymore. God didn't get us saved to struggle. The Christian life is not a life of struggle. It's a life of yieldedness. Yield to the Holy Ghost. It will carry you. That's the way God designed Christian life. It's a life where you are supposed to be carried. Your job is to yield so that he can carry you. It's to yield so that he can carry you. You're struggling with your flesh. Yield to the Holy Ghost. It will carry you. You're struggling with any oppression of the devil. Yield to the Holy Ghost. Let him carry you. It's a life of yieldedness. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, then he will flee. He didn't tell you to combat the devil. He said, you submit to God. And then put the devil in his place. He said, our obedience, when it is complete, puts us in a position to judge every disobedience. So notice that. He said, our obedience. So it is in our submission that we walk in victory. It's in our yieldedness that we walk in victory. You must yield to the spirit of God. It's a spirit walk. It's not a flesh walk. Even the work of the ministry is a spirit walk. It's not a flesh walk. The arm of flesh cannot prevail. Flesh cannot do God's work. Flesh cannot do God's will. Flesh cannot fulfill the will of God. Oh, but when you yield to the Holy Ghost, the things of God, you find them, you will get to the easy zone. That's why he is the anointing that makes things easy. He's the Holy Ghost. When we talk of the anointing that makes difficult things easy, we're talking about the Spirit of God. He makes difficult things easy. He makes difficult things easy. Peter found it difficult to stand up for Christ. But when the Holy Ghost came upon him, it was so easy for him to preach. So easy for him to stand up for Jesus. Repeatedly and all through his life. Without the Holy Ghost, things are hard. But with the help of the Holy Ghost, every difficult thing becomes easy. What a precious spirit he is. And that's why he's the evidence that we are sons of God. He's the evidence that we are sons of God. He's the evidence that we are sons of God. Oh, and he will never leave us. 
Jesus said, I'm giving him to you and he will abide with you forever. 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 He's in me now. He's in me as my standby. He's in me now as my counselor. He's in me now as my strengthener. He's in me now as my advocate. He's in me now as my intercessor. He's in me now. It's not going to be ease. Everything Jesus was to the twelve, he is to me and more. You say, what, what is the more? The more is the fact that when Jesus was here on earth before the cross, he was not the risen savior. But the Holy Ghost to us today is everything Jesus was to them and more. He represents the risen Lord inside of me. He is the spirit and power of resurrection. When Paul was saying that you may know the, what is the exceeding greatness, rich greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he wrote in Christ when he raised him from the dead, that mighty power is the Holy Ghost. The power of resurrection that Paul is talking about is the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit. Is in me. The greatest power on earth is in the believer. That's why all things are possible to us. All things are possible to us. Even in the midst of situations that look as if it's a dead end, the Holy Ghost can turn it around. Because the first introduction of God we see in the Bible is the Holy Ghost at work, turning a dead situation around. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. But the Spirit of God brewed over the surface of the deep. No matter how dead end the situation looks, let the Holy Ghost brood on it. He will turn it around. It cannot be a dead end for you with the Holy Ghost inside of you. It cannot be. And no matter what the situation has been in your life tonight, I'm speaking to you by the Spirit of God. Let that situation turn around now. Let it turn, let it turn, let it turn. He brood over the surface of the deep. In other words, with the Holy Ghost, every dead thing can come back to life. With the Holy Ghost, darkness will give way to light. With the Holy Ghost, ugly situations can be made beautiful. With the Holy Ghost, what should be the end can be a new beginning. With the Holy Ghost. And the good news is, I've got the Holy Ghost. 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 I got the Holy Ghost. I got the Holy Ghost. I've got the Holy Ghost. Whenever the devil is threatening you, that's a good confession. I've got the Holy Ghost. I cannot be stranded. I've got the Holy Ghost. It cannot be the end. I've got the Holy Ghost. It cannot be over for me. I've got the Holy Ghost. I'm not going under because I've got the Holy Ghost. I cannot be confused because I've got the Holy Ghost. The money will come because I've got the Holy Ghost. My body will be made strong because I've got the Holy Ghost. 
I will know what to do because I've got the Holy Ghost. Somebody shout it, I've got the Holy Ghost. Glory. Oh, yes, I have him. I have him. You know, the good news about it is that he wasn't given to me by a man. He wasn't given to me by a committee. He wasn't given to me by the chiefs in my hometown. He wasn't given to me by the government. He wasn't given to me by a politician. God gave me the Holy Ghost. Jesus gave me the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you see, because if man gave him, man can take him back. Because the emotions and dispositions of man towards you are not always constant. But God never changes. How he feels about you tonight is the same way he felt about you yesterday. That's the same way he will feel about you tomorrow. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, is the same today, and is the same forever. He loved me yesterday. He loves me now. And he's going to love me forever. So there is nothing to worry about the Holy Ghost. He's the most constant factor in your life. No other factor more constant than him. No other factor. He was sent to help you. He wasn't sent to condemn you. He was sent to stand by you. He wasn't sent to stand against you. He was sent to guide you. He wasn't sent to confuse you. He was sent to be your helper, not to be a condemner. He will always be there and he will always function. He's more than willing to help. Oh, somebody said, thank God for the Holy Ghost. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're making me preach tonight. <laughs> oh, the Holy Ghost is so sweet. And that's what it means to be saved. And thank God we are saved. Thank God we are saved and thank God we have an assurance of it. An assurance that is unshakable. We know it. People ask, how do you know you're saved? I just know. Because he is the spirit of knowing. The spirit of knowing. is right there in my heart. It's in my heart. I know that I'm a child of God. <laughs> he said, God, because he has sons. He said, God has sent forth, Galatians 4, 6, the spirit of his son into your heart. Crying, Abba, Father. Crying, Abba, Father. Crying, Abba, Father. Romans 8, 15, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. He is a spirit that speaks, and he speaks good things. Good things. Not empty good things, but realities. And all of it are good things. <laughs> no wonder Smith Wigglesworth said, he said, the Holy Ghost will magnify Jesus in a way that you never could with your own intellect when you allow him inside of you. He speaks of what the blood has done. That's all he's always said, talking about. 
You see, the same way the Lord, the Father said concerning Jesus at the Jordan in Luke 3, in Mark 1, and he said, Thou art my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Mark 1, 11. Did you see? It's the same way God, by the Spirit inside of you, is saying the same thing to you. Thou art my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Thou art my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Ephesians 1, 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. We are in the beloved. We are the beloved ones of the Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, worship him. Come on. Online, on ground, worship him. Oh, yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Worship him, worship him. Oh, yes, oh, yes. Give him thanks, give him thanks. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to your name, Lord God. Oh, yes. Lord, you reign forever. You're the king forever. You're the throne forever. Lord, you reign forever. Holy God, holy God, you are great. It's the simple song. Holy God, yeah. Holy God, you are great. Holy God, holy God, holy God, you are great. Holy God, holy God, holy God, you are great. Lord, you reign forever. Lord, you reign forever. You're the king forever. You're the king forever. Lord, you reign forever. You're the king forever. You're the king forever. Holy God. Holy God. Holy God. You are great. Holy God. Holy God. Holy God. You are great. Now listen to it again. Lord, you reign forever. You're the throne forever. You're the king of all ages. And Lord, your throne is forever. I'll sing it again. Lord, you reign forever. You're the throne forever. Forever. Sing it again. Lord, you reign. Lord, you reign. Put anything you like in there. Oh, you're the throne forever. You're the king for all the ages. You're the king for ages. Lord, you reign. Lord, you reign forever. Lord, you reign forever. Lord, you reign. You're a throne forever. Lord, you reign. Lord, you reign forever. You're the reign. God, holy God, you are great. Holy God, holy God, 
Lord, you reign forever. You're the king forever. You're the king forever. Lord, you reign forever. Lord, you reign forever. You're a throne forever. You're a throne forever. Lord, you reign forever. Lord, you reign forever. You are the king forever. You're the king forever. Lord, you reign forever. Lord, you reign forever. Sit down and sing it quietly.
Magnify the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord. The looming darkness is being shifted backwards. And light is shining. The darkness looms. But lo, the light shines. And the darkness comprehended it not. And that looming darkness is shifted back. Rolled back. And it's moving away. And it's going away. And it's as the day dawns. Do not despair. Do not fear. You are not moving into darkness. The day is dawning. Do not be afraid, says the Lord. Though the darkness looms, it is but the break of day. 
that beckons on the horizon. The light shines and the darkness comprehended it not, says the Spirit of the Lord. So rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Yes, Lord. Listen, listen. For I shall order your steps. Even in the seeming darkness, you follow my lead, says the Lord, and I shall usher you. And things will get brighter and brighter and brighter. Be not afraid to take the steps that are being instructed by my spirit, says the Lord. For as you obey and take those steps, in spite of the looming darkness, remember, it is but the break of dawn. So be not afraid to take the steps. For as you take each step, things will get clearer and the light will shine brighter. Directions in dark places, says the Lord. And it shall turn the dark places to light, says the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. For you are light. Therefore, be not afraid of the darkness. You are light. Therefore, be not afraid of the darkness. You are light. You are light. You are light. That's what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. That's what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. So don't be afraid. Any situation that looks dark to you now, it's nothing but the break of dawn. As you step with the Spirit of God, things will get brighter. And you will at last find yourself in the brightness of noonday. For you are light. So be not afraid of the darkness. Ephesians 5, 8. Ye were once darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. So walk as children of light you are now light in the Lord so walk walk take steps of light even in the midst of darkness take steps of light even in the midst of darkness take steps of light even in the midst of darkness so don't be afraid do not be afraid that's the word of the Lord thank him for it online on ground everybody Thank you for it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Jesus' precious name. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. As the sweetness of the Holy Ghost. It's impossible to speak about the Holy Ghost and he will not express himself. Especially in the garden of the saints. And then all we need to do is to yield unto him.
and then we enjoy sweet manifestations of the Holy Ghost. 14, 7, 1 Corinthians, for the manifestations of the Spirit is given to profit with all. To profit all. All of us. Did you see that? 12, 7 rather. To profit all. Did you see? That, that, that statement, to profit all, means to make you better off. The manifestations of the Spirit makes us better. You are better now than you were before. Every manifestation of the Holy Ghost makes you better. Every one of it, every bit of it, makes you better. A word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. Do you see? Discerning of spirits in operation, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, faith, healing, walking of miracles will always make you better. Will always make you better. You are better off right now. Aha, you are better off. You are always better off with the word from God. <laughs> because one word from God will change your life. <laughs> You're better off. Just one word from the Lord. Because his word never returned to him void. He will always prosper in the thing where to send them. Isaiah 55, 11, God's word will never return to him void. We were born again by that word. Incorruptible word of God. Is somebody hear what I'm saying tonight? It will never return to him void. Never return to him void. Whatever God has said to you concerning 2022, it's going to happen. I say, it shall come to pass. Stop being pressured by the calendar. The days are passing. So what? How long did it take God to make the heavens and the earth? I speak over everybody that is pressured by a deadline. And I command by the anointing of the Holy Ghost, let the power of the word of God, let it bring that desired result to your life now. You know, on Sunday, a dear daughter here came and told mom and I, she had sent a message earlier in the week and talked about some issues with her traveling to the UK to practice as a nurse. And mom, mom showed me that message during the week. You see, we always wait for a word from the Lord because it's the word of the Lord that makes a difference. And I remember, you know, when mom showed it to me, I really didn't see anything. I don't even think I said anything. I don't know. Not because I wasn't concerned, but I was just waiting to see what would God do about it. So on Sunday, she came around. And as mom and I were praying for her, I heard the Holy Ghost say, send that same angel. She means the UK. He knows the way. Send that same angel again. And we prayed and agreed. And this afternoon, mom showed me. She sent the message. It's done. She's been cleared. She's been cleared. Because whatever God did before, he can do it again. And he will do it for you. And I said to mom, I said, I want to get the And in giving thanks to the Lord, the Lord reminded me just exactly with the words of Daniel. The Lord has sent his angel. <laughs> Angels are agents of the miraculous for the benefit of the saints. Anything that is a pressing need on your life tonight, that is especially a deadline, that is mounting pressure on you, I release the angels of this anointing to get it done for you. Let them get it done for you. Let them get it done for you. In the name of Jesus. Give thanks for it now. 
Thank God for it. Thank God for it. Hear me? Yes. Some of you need to do a dance. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. So you are better off. Much, much better off. Spiritually, emotionally, physically. You are always better off after receiving a word from the Lord. You are always better off after a ministry of the Spirit. A ministration of the Spirit. That's why we must continue to yield to the Holy Ghost. Yield to the Holy Ghost. Corporately and individually. That's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 3, 16. He said, no, you're not that. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost and that the Spirit of God lives in you. Amplified Classic says it lives in you individually, did you see, and collectively, you, the church, at Corinth. So, if it lives in us corporately and lives in us personally, individually, then we must allow him to find expressions corporately and find expressions individually. So allow expressions of the Holy Ghost when you are by yourself. Allow expressions of the Holy Ghost, of course, when we are together. In your house, in your devotion time, even in the course of your day, going about your business. Let the Holy Ghost find his free way in your life. He tells you to just stop and worship God. Do it immediately. He tells you to spend some time, pray. Go ahead and pray. He tells you to sing. Sing. He tells you to go and read the word. Read it. Yield to the Holy Ghost. Obey him. It's going to make all the difference in your life. Can somebody say loud amen tonight? Thank you, Lord Jesus. So let's get back in the teaching. Praise God. Glory to God. <laughs> so we're just fixing to talk about how what it means to be born again. Well, that's the demonstration of what it means to be born again. A person who is born again should have this kind of experiences regularly. Shouldn't be a dry life. Born again life is a spirit-filled life. And the spirit-filled life is a bubbling life. <laughs> Never a dull moment with the Holy Ghost. Are you hearing what I am saying? How can the Holy Ghost be in you and you are looking at the future and you think it's bleak? No. There's no bleak future with the Spirit of God. He's all-knowing. He sees tomorrow. He knows your future better than you know your past. So if you let him, he'll show you great things coming ahead of you. Whatever has happened in your past, forget about that. I've been telling you, God will do more in your, in your future than the devil has done in your past. So stop being afraid of whatever the devil has done. Don't let the track record of Satan scare you. Post in the track record of God. Say, see what the devil did to that person. See what he did to that person. So what? What he did to that person. What about what God did to what the devil did? How about that? How about what God did to what the devil did? He bound that woman for 18 years. What did Jesus do? In one moment, he set her loose. In one moment. Hey, what he did to Joseph? Well, in one night, God upturned it. In one night. In one night. All God needed to do was to make the king to dream a dream. And he put the answer in the hand of Joseph. 
and he changed his life. God knows how to change people's minds for you. God knows how to turn things around for you. God knows how to turn your life around. He has more than a million and one ways to turn your entire life around. You know what I was coming to church tonight? The Lord said to me, he said sometimes the challenge with my children is that they are looking in a direction opposite of what I'm trying to show them. And that's the word the Lord has to say to somebody tonight. Now what God is doing in your life currently is completely different from all you are preoccupied with. And all if you can just excuse yourself from your preoccupation with your current situations, your eyes will open to see what God is doing. Some of you, there, in fact, there are some of you, the Lord has to say this to you tonight. You are actually in the midst of one of the best seasons of your life. But the devil is distracting with so many challenges. Look away from those challenges and worship God. You'll be amazed. You will see the wonders of God that is already happening. Not the one that is about to happen. It has started already. I don't know who you are. That word is from the Lord to you. The devil is trying to distract you. Some petty nonsense that he's doing around you. So you are so preoccupied and you are thinking in your mind that why is my life like this? But God is looking at you and saying, you are in your best season. Wake up and see it. That's why I say, call upon me and I will answer you. Jeremiah 33, 3, and I will show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So it means there are great and mighty things that can be happening around you and you are not even aware. But God said, when you call upon me, I will show you. And somebody tonight, call on him, he will show you. He will show you. He will show you. The devil is trying to preoccupy you with threats. Things will go wrong. Things will spoil. Everything will end and all that. And you are worried. Whereas God is doing something mighty in your life. Something great from God is cooking. He's cooking. God is saying, pay attention to what I'm doing now. Pay attention to what I'm doing now. That's why I hear that word again. That looming darkness. Don't be afraid of it. It's a looming darkness, but it is shifting backwards already. Keep moving. Take the steps. Like those four lepers. Every step you take, something is changing supernaturally. There's somebody you think you are losing things. You are not losing. You are winning. It doesn't look like it, but that's the word of the Lord to you. You are actually winning now, says the Lord. You are in your winning season. You are not in your losing season. You are winning now. The Lord is asking me to tell you, you are winning. You are actually winning. Yes. You may not feel like it, but that's the truth. You are winning. <laughs> it's the word of the Lord. It cannot fail. It cannot fail. It cannot fail. It cannot fail. It's just like the way Jesus was saying to them when they ran out of wine in John 2. And he said, go and draw from there. Draw water. And just draw. And when they drew out of it, he said, pour water. And they said, draw and give to the master of the feast. They thought it was water they would draw out. Jesus said, it can't be water again. Because I said so. Mary knew that too well. John 2, 5. Whatever he tells you to do, you do it. So if he says pour water, pour water. When he says draw it out, draw it out. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That it was water you poured in does not mean it's water you bring out. Ah, is somebody hear what I'm saying now? What you might have put into it might not be what you needed. But what you're going to get out of it is going to be more than what you needed, says the Lord. Amen. Somebody needs to hang on to that word I just said now by the Spirit of God. But I put in it what you don't, what does not look sufficient. But the Lord says it's time to draw out. And by the time you're drawing out, it will be more than enough. 
I don't know who you are. Maybe you paid a deposit for something and you're looking. Where am I going to get a balance from? Who is that person? Raise your hand. You made a deposit for something, but you're not sure where the balance will come from. You? Huh. I knew the Holy Ghost was getting to something. Rejoice is done. You will have more than what you need to balance it. It doesn't matter what that thing is. Some of you need to run with that word when you leave service today. Go and make a deposit for your house. Make a deposit for your land. Make a deposit for that car. Take the first step, says the Lord. Take that step first. You see the wonders of God. The Spirit of God inside of you. By Him, these worlds were made. You can't be stranded with the Holy Ghost in you. It's not possible. If you believe, can you shout a loud amen to me? Glory to God. There's just a sweet anointing here tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So back to First Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3. Just know in your mind that like one service already ended. It's another service now. <laughs> that was a different service entirely we just had. Different from midweek service. Hallelujah. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So there's training. So we talked about what it means to be born again. But after you are born again, you must be trained. You must be trained. Every believer needs training. Even though you are anointed, you must still be apprenticed. Reverend Ryan Handbonke or Evangelist Ryan Handbonke of blessed memory was the one who said that statement. The anointed must be apprenticed. The anointed must be apprenticed. That even though you have the anointing, you have the call, you have the grace of God upon your life, yet you must be trained. You must be trained. Jesus for three and a half years trained his disciples. Trained his disciples. He was training them. When he rose from the dead, you would have thought the training was over. But Jesus spent 40 extra days training them again. Post-resurrection. Because you see, training never ends. After three and a half years of intense training, he went to the cross and died and rose again and took 40 days teaching them again. Training them and equipping them for the work of the ministry. Because training never ends. You need to learn and keep learning. You need to get trained and keep getting trained. Because you see, the degree to which you are trained is the degree to which you get better. You can desire to be better, but without training, you will not be better. You can desire to be better, but without training, it is impossible to be better. It is impossible to be better without training. You can't sit in your house and say, I'm going to be a better banker. And you didn't go for any training. You're just saying it every day. You won't get better that way. You can't just wake up every day and say, I'm going to be a better lawyer. And without training, you're not going to get better. Because I'm going to be a better singer. Without any training, you will sing the same old way. You can't be a better engineer without training. You can't be a better minister without training. You can't be a better, you know, professional at whatever you're doing without training. It is impossible. The more training you get, the better you become. The more training you get, the better you become. And that's why your eyes must be open to training and your spirit sensitive to it. I say it again, your eyes must always be open to training and your spirit must always be sensitive to all the avenues to be trained. I told you over the years that to anyone who is going to be great in life, almost literally every place is a school and everything is a teacher. Because in life you will have many unconscious teachers, but you cannot be an unconscious learner. 
That is, it is possible for somebody to teach you without knowing, but it is impossible for you to learn without knowing. I say it again, it might be possible for somebody to teach you without them knowing they are teaching you. But it is literally and practically impossible for you to learn and not know you are learning. In other words, learning must always be deliberate. If it is not deliberate, it can never happen. If you are not deliberate, learning can never happen. There is no learning by accident. All learning happens deliberately. All learning happens deliberately you've got to make up your mind to learn i want to learn you must make up your mind to learn jesus said to the disciples one after the other the four the first four of them peter james john andrew did you see that follow me and i will make you fishers of men and the bible says they left their father's fishing nets and followed him they deliberate heeded that call they didn't stay at their father's fishing net and boats and say well jesus don't worry keep going whatever you are teaching people will get it from here no they followed him deliberately and so they learned so learning must be deliberate learning must be deliberate and honor is one of the things that you can never know if you don't learn it Honor is one of the things you will never know if you don't learn it. You must make up your mind to learn what honor is. You must make up your mind to learn how honor works. You must make up your mind to learn what is the value and the premium God has placed on honor. Honor is a big deal where God is concerned. Honor is such a big deal. As we read earlier in John 5, 23, Jesus is speaking and he said that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. So you see, the subject and the issue of honor amongst men affects God himself. I'll say it again. The issue and the subject of honor amongst men affects God. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father that sent him. In other words, when you dishonor people that God has placed honor on, God takes it personal. God counts it as something big. So we must learn honor. And I'll say to you, there is a general call to honor for all saints. There is a general call unto a life of honor and that call is towards all saints. Is towards all saints. In John 5, 23, when Jesus said that all men should honor the son, he, he used the Greek word there, timao, T-I-M-A-O. And timao actually means to fix evaluation upon someone or something. Timao, T-I-M-A-O. It means to fix evaluation upon something or someone. It means to revere. Then it also means to prize or place worth on someone. To prize or place worth on someone. That's the same word Apostle Peter uses in 2 Peter 1, 17, when he said, for he received from God the Father, talking about Jesus, honor and glory. Did you see this? When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Peter is making reference to what happened in, as recorded in Matthew 17, 5. That when God spoke over Jesus and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. Matthew 17, 5. Peter is telling us that what God did in that instance was God was honoring the son. God was honoring the Lord Jesus. He said, Jesus received honor of the father. I'll say this at this point. If you are a son, you don't take honor. It is given to you. Sons don't take honor. Sons receive honor that is given. When a son wants to take honor to himself, he is being prodigal. Like the prodigal son rose to his father and said, he said, give unto me that which is mine of my inheritance is demanding it sons don't demand inheritance they wait until they are given a son who demands inheritance by that demand in itself is a mark of his immaturity is a mark of his impatience 
And it's a mark that he will soon self-destruct. He will waste everything that he's trying to lay claim off. You've got to be like Jesus. He's the pattern son. He's the pattern son. He's not just the first begotten. He's the first begotten as a pattern for us. That's why you see that word first begotten of the father or firstborn of the father, especially when you see it in Colossians 1, is the Greek word prototokos, which actually means the prototype, the, the model as it were. And it's not just the model after resurrection, but it's also the model in conduct and character. It's the model in our manner and conversation, how our lives ought to be, that Jesus, where honor is concerned, did not take honor. He rather received the one the father gave. He rather received the honor that the father gave unto him. And this is what Peter is saying here in 2 Peter 1.17 For you received from God the Father honor, Timao, which is the fixed valuation the Father placed on him. He received that reverence the Father placed on him. He received the worth the father placed on him. Because truly he's a father that knows the worth of his son. He's a father that can determine and dictate as it were the worth of his son. And so this is what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying in John 5 23 when he mentions honor he's talking about the fixed valuation. You see you can find out your fixed valuation. For example Paul was speaking to the Romans in Romans 12 and verse 3 he said I say unto you according to the grace given unto me to everyone that is among you not to think more highly of yourselves more than you ought to. Did you see that now? But to think soberly even as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So it means God is the one that gives us our measures. God is the one that has placed our values. God is the one that has placed our worth. He has determined the worth of each and every one of us. So Paul wants and said, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. He didn't say not to think highly of yourself. He said, don't think more highly than you ought to. The problem with many Christians, they are not thinking highly of themselves at all. The word of God didn't say, don't think highly of yourself. He said, don't think more highly than, than you ought to. Ask your neighbor for me, have you ever thought highly of yourself at all? Some think so lowly of, your, of themselves. They think of themselves as nothing. They say, what am I? We are nothing but pencil in the hand of the creator. Is it Wally Adenuga that is examining your work? You watch too much TV. Super story. Some say they hate worms. They say, after all, it was said in the book of Isaiah that Jacob a worm. Well, your name is not Jacob. You are not under the old covenant. You are in the new covenant. God has placed a prize on you. He has bought you with a prize. Acts 20, 28, take it to yourselves and to all the flock of God over there with the Holy Ghost has made you overseer. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders that you feed the church of God which he purchased. So we are his purchased possession. 1 Corinthians 6, 20, you are bought with a prize. 1 Corinthians 7, 23, you are bought with a prize. So you are not cheap. The one who paid for you knows your worth and your value. So you must know it and then Think soberly as you ought to. So it means there is a high way you should think of yourself. Paul is only warning, don't think more highly than that. And by implication, he's already saying, don't think low of yourself. Think high of yourself. You should think high of yourself because you are seated at the right hand of the, of the Father. Think high of yourself. The blood of Jesus was paid to ransom you. Think high of yourself. And as you are doing that, think highly of other believers too. Some think highly of themselves, but they think low of other people. Think highly of other believers too. They have the Holy Ghost as you do. Husband is to honor his wife because you are both heirs of the same grace of life. So as the man thinks highly of himself as a 
as a, as a, as a heir of the grace of life in Christ, Peter is saying, think highly of your wife too. Don't be a Christian who thinks highly of yourself, but you think low of other people. You think high of your church, you think low of other people's church. Think high of your pastor, you think low of other people's pastor. That's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. We are to honor all men. Not some men. We're going to look at it now. This is a general call to honor. It's a general call. When you see a person who is selective in honor, they are not people of honor at all. If a person is a person of honor, their honor is not selective. They honor people appropriately. As you're going to see in this teaching, there is honor for different categories of people. But all men have been made to be deserving of honor by God. But you will see the different classes of honor and you must know them and give to everyone accordingly. There is the honor that must be given to all of God's creation. That is all of human creation that is made by God. When you see any human being, there is honor you must give to them. Because man is God's creation. Man is God's creation. There is no man on earth that exists outside of God's work of creation. No man. In Psalm 139 verse 14, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right. Did you see this? The message says, I thank you, high God. Not high chief, high God. He said, you are breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. Sometimes you should wake up in the morning and look yourself in the mirror and say, what a creation. The way some will say, look at balance, God they create. You look at yourself, you deck up and you smile. What a creation of God. What a creation of God. That is thinking highly of yourself. What will be thinking more highly of yourself is to now look in the mirror and say, I am the best creation of God on this earth. Nobody is as handsome as I am. Even you, you know you are lying. You don't need to take more than 10 steps outside of your house. You will see people are finer than you. To think highly of your man of God is to say, my man of God is a great man of God. But to say he's the greatest man of God, that's thinking more highly. I was thinking more highly. You know, funny enough, a few days ago, my son was talking to me. I think it was two nights ago. I was just sitting in the sitting room and he said, Daddy, you know, he said, do you think you're the greatest pastor in the world? <laughs> oh, two nights ago. I said, well, I, I don't think of myself like that. I said, but what do you think? He said, well, I don't know who the greatest pastor is. But he was trying to remember. He said, uh, he said, I think it's this Potter's, Potter's. And I knew it was three days. I didn't let him, I didn't tell him. <laughs> I was trying to remember Bishop TJ's. He said, This potters, potters, but I didn't tell. I knew the answer. I was just keeping quiet. Potters, but when I'm here. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. <laughs> Before you remember, you would have accepted that I'm, I'm the best. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You know, because you need to understand these things. Because some people think it is honor. And that's why you must know the difference between honor and flattery. I will show you in this teaching, it's in the book. All right, the book they said will be out on. Was is it Friday now? It did some corrections, you know, in the course of last weekend, and all that. We're targeting today again, but we couldn't make it today. But Friday to be out anyway, by the grace of God. Get a copy and read. I wrote a whole chapter. Did you see? Uh, did you see on on uh, on uh, flattery? Did you see what I'm saying? The difference, familiarity, not not flattery. But I mentioned about flattery. And that's what I'm trying to let you know. Flattery is a dangerous thing. It's a sinful thing. It's dangerous and sinful to be a flatterer because you see in the book of Psalm how David speaks we'll get to that how David speaks and warns and even prays that God deliver me from from strange children whose mouths are filled with deceit 
And that word deceit there means flattery. So I wonder sometimes when I see ministers of the gospel and they have followers who are saying some flattery words about them and they don't know they are being put in danger. Because people who flatter you, like the Bible says, is deceitful. In other words, they know what they are saying is not true. But they are saying it just to, to like you say, local palace, to whine you. <laughs> They've been whining people from Bible days. <laughs> they are saying it just to suit you and usually to take advantage of you. And you can imagine King David prayed and said, Lord, rescue me from this kind of children. So a true son, a true daughter does not flatter. Mm -mm, you don't flatter. And that's where that flattery is there. It's to think more highly, more highly than you ought to. So the word of God says to think highly, but not to think more highly than you ought to. If you're not going to think more highly than you ought to, then it means you must know the value placed on you. You must know that value because when he says, but to think soberly, soberly means to be sound-minded, to have sound judgment, accurate estimation. So it means you must have an accurate estimation of who you are, your level per time. What's your level? What's your status in God? What's the progress you've made with your Christian life? One of the biggest issues you can have in your life is to estimate people wrongly and estimate yourself wrongly. It's the reason why many people struggle in life. He has wrongly estimated the people God has sent to him. He is making friends out of people who should be his mentors. So in the days when people who should speak over his life to save him with right counsel, they will not be able to speak because he has not put them in the right place in his life. Are you seeing what I'm talking about tonight? So when Paul is giving this instruction, it's a very strong one. Not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Because you will notice the entire chapter 12 of Romans, Paul is talking about the different parts in the body. The role everybody has to play. So Paul is saying, listen, know your place. Know your worth. Know your pay grade. Don't try to overstep your boundaries. I've seen people try to do things God didn't call them for. Same people trying to place themselves as who they are not. Like I told you last week, you say a person go for a conference, comes out of the and say, I'm a general. General what? General mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> that they use in primary school. Just because you attended the conference, you are now a general. Because you heal the sick, you are now a general. Even because you raise the dead, you are now a general. Come on. You need to be careful because, you see, you must know how the process of God in the kingdom works. The process of developing people. The process of raising people. In the kingdom of God, God doesn't just dash out positions, titles to people. No. In fact, in God's kingdom, it's not about titles, it's about functions. It's about functions. And generally speaking, there is a general honor on all God's creation. That is God's human creation. So I'm not talking about honor for dogs. There's no honor for dogs. I say, I love my dog. I'm going to honor my dog. He will sleep on my bed. Be careful. Because you're having, you know, fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. <laughs> There's an extreme line that a, a believer must not cross in his relationship with animals. Your dog is sleeping on your bed, which was the meaning of that. Is he your wife? Actually, your dog is sleeping on your bed. Even those who are dog whisperers will tell you. I've studied a few things about dogs. They will tell you when your dog sleeps on the same, even not even your bed now, if your dog is sitting on the same chair that you are sitting on, if the dog is already marking territory for you, in case you don't know. That's the meaning of it. And if you allow that dog to do that, have you seen cases where the dog will now start chasing people from that chair? Now, even you do not check the money, the chair you bought with your money. <laughs> then the dog will begin to, to chase you. Yeah. If you have a dog in your house now, and the dog likes to take a position like the entrance somewhere in your house, that is the main entrance. From when the dog starts doing it, from day one, don't be cruel. I'm not saying you should kick the dog and bang the head and say, God punish you. Who born you? Where you come from? Who you be? Where do you go be? Where do you go? Where do you go? No. <laughs> 
what you simply do, if you see that kind of situation, is you just gently move that dog out of that place. The dog will get the message. But if you don't, and it does it first time, second time, third time, eventually you'll find out that if anybody wants to pass by that place, that dog will bark at them because it has marked territory. So I'm just telling you now from the scientific part, how much more now spiritually? That you now say your own dog sleeps on your bed. Then you now be your dog will wake up. When you wake up in the morning, the first person, the first kiss you get every day is from an animal. Are you why don't you cuckoo just come as an animal and go and stay in the animal kingdom? <laughs> he said, But I'm honoring my dog. No, there's no honor for dogs. You can care for animals. So when we say there is honor for all of God's creation, we're talking about God's human creation. Are you getting what I'm saying now? Because yeah. that's how you see extreme things people have done. You go to the Western world, you see people who say they bequitted their wealth to a cat. Catty, catty. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh-uh. after working all your life and making a fortune, then you were about to die. You saw all of God's creation that you could use that wealth to help. After you are gone, you didn't give it to them. You said they should give it to a cat. That's a catastrophe. <laughs> After all, you just don't know. When you see mom acting like she's quiet, well, she's the real, she's the real deal. <laughs> she's the king of clapback, as you are looking at her. You know, a few days ago, we were just, we're just joking about something. I said, how can the person do something like that? I said, mom just said, I said, <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so you can imagine the person you're giving your whole wealth to a cat. You know, some people look at it and say, well, the person just cares for the cat. That's not care. As a misplaced priority from the standpoint of God's word. That's placing that animal above God's human creation. Man in God's creation, as you see from scripture, is the crown of God's creation. No animal comes close. And I'm talking about man, whether saved or not, whether born again or not. No human being exists on this earth outside of God's creation. So there must be that honor. He said, what is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that thou visitest him? He said, thou made him a little lower than the Elohim. He's talking about man. And he's not talking about man in Christ. Man, generally. Like we saw just now in Psalm 139. He says he is fearfully and wonderfully made. Man. God invested in him. You see, the reason for human creation is the new creation. God made the natural man so that that man can become like God. Always remember that. The reason why God formed the natural man is so that that natural man can become the spirit man, the supernatural man, the new creation man. Because the new creation was God's original idea. The original idea of God is for man to be like him. I've told you when you read in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 when he said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, you understand that the image of God, God is referring to in Genesis 1 26, he was not Adam, he's Christ. Who is the image of God, the firstborn of every creature? Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, verse 18 says it's the first one from the dead. Talking about Jesus Christ is the image of God. The image of the invisible God. 
the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1, you see there again. God who has sundry times in diverse manners spoke to our fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us through his son, who has, who has appointed heir of all things. He is the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Did you see that? That's talking about Jesus. Romans 8, 29, glory to Jesus. Those whom he did for no, he did, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Did you see that? That he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. The image, image. Jesus is the image of God. Are you seeing this? 2 Corinthians 4. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. God who, had, who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, at shine now has to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 7, verse 4. In whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not less the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. Who is what? The image of God. So who is Christ? The image of God. So in Genesis 1, 26, when he said, let us make man in our image. Notice our image is not our. He's not talking about our as your, your, the chief in your village. He wasn't calling your, the chiefs in your village and said, let us make in our. That our is God himself. Yes. Are you seeing this now? Yes, and we've seen in the epistles what that image is. He says, Christ is that image. So he made Adam so that Adam can become this image. Go back to Romans 8, 29 again. So he made natural man so that natural man can be conformed to this image, which is Christ. Are you getting that now? Yes, sir. Therefore, if the natural man was made for that purpose, then there is a honor for that natural man. So when you say an unbeliever, you should have some respect for him too. Have that respect and honor for him as one for whom Christ died. Have that respect and honor for the unbeliever as one for whom Christ died, was buried, and was raised again. Therefore, he's worthy of some honor. Because receiving Christ will eventually make him our brother. Will make her our, our sister. Is somebody hear what I'm saying right now? And that's the reason why we see when we go out, and I will show you, how do we honor the unsaved? The primary way to honor the unsaved is to preach Christ to him. The primary way to honor the unsaved is to preach Christ to him. That's the primary way to honor the unsaved man. Preach to him the message of Christ. Sow the seed of the word of the kingdom into his heart and his spirit. You are honoring him by doing that. Because you are presenting to him the life of God. You are presenting to him the very life of God. The gift of salvation. You don't give a gift to somebody that you despise. Gifts are given to people that you honor. So when you give and offer the gift of salvation to the unsaved, you are honoring them. You show honor to the unsaved. You don't honor the unsaved by marrying him. Say, I want to show you that I honor you. Yes, I will be your wife. No, you are dishonoring God, yourself, and the unsaved. Are you hear what I'm saying now? Yes, you don't honor the unsaved by marrying them. You don't honor the unsaved, did you see? Except primarily by ministering to them the life of God. Preaching Christ to them. Getting them saved. Are you getting this somebody? Yes, because the value God has placed upon them, the Lord Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, 26, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Did you notice that? So what that tells you is the fact that all the treasures of the world is not worth one human soul. All the treasures of this world is not worth one human soul. The NLT translation, as the New Living Translation says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? 
like that translation is anything worth more than your soul and you notice by the virtue of the price that was paid for your soul you will notice that truly nothing in the world no material thing is worth your soul in first peter 1 18 to 19 apostle peter writing says for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of christ did you see this as of a lamb without blemish and without spot did you see that so he says things as silver and gold are nothing to be compared to the blood that was shed for our redemption and that's because we are worth so much and when i say we all humans are worth so much before the lord can you shout amen somebody amen. because you will notice jesus died for all men not just for christians you know, John was writing in 1 John 2, 1, and he said, I write unto you, little children, that you will not sin. He said, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He says, for it's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So notice right there. It's not just the propitiation, the mercy seat, the atoning sacrifice for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus died for every human being. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Festival Two, four. Who will have all men to be saved? Second Peter three nineteen. He said he will not. He does not wish for any to perish. He doesn't want any to perish. So you will notice it is not the will of God for any man to perish, any man at all. And you see, God is after the soul of the unsaved because God values their soul. We were once like them too. First Corinthians six eleven. And such were some of you. Did you see this? But now ye are washed. Ye are sanctified. Ye are justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Such were some of you. Ask your neighbor, tell your neighbor, say, such were some of you. Mm, look at them. Look at them well. They are look, doing as if they were not some of you. <laughs> if I just look at, just point that figure at three people. Let's draw a circumference like I say, such were some of you. Some of you. Some of you. Some of you online. Such were some of you. But now we are washed. <laughs> That was then, this is now. We are washed now. We are sanctified now. We are justified now. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God, I am washed. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> and this is why we must honor all men. Because if God doesn't want any of them to perish, according to 2 Peter 3, 9, then why, why would you not see the value in them? If God wants somebody to be with him for eternity, there must be value on that person. There must be value on that person. So you must begin to see the unsafe people around you differently. See them differently. You know, Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy said, Christ came to the world and died for all sinners of whom I am chief. This was after he had become an apostle. So he's not calling himself a sinner now. He's trying to tell Timothy, this is who I was. This is what I'm saying now. That see what God can make out of a sinner. God can make the chief apostle out of a sinner. He can make a chief apostle out of a chief sinner. A beer guzzler, cigarette chewer, smoking like a chimney, or even more. Are you hear what I'm saying now? You know that story I heard many years ago. A person drank so much, and one day they said they took they went they took him to a beauty, and that beauty in that beauty they have a machine that if anything is in the in the in the in the tank, the beauty, the, the computer will begin to shout and say something is in the tank. So if it's a person, you will mention that name. So let's say, for example, I don't know whose name I want to use now. Let's use Jonah. So Jonah fell into the tank. So when he fell into the tank, the computer began to beep. Jonah in tank. 
Jonah in tank. After one hour, the computer changed the story. Tank in Jonah. Tank in Jonah. Tank in Jonah. Tank in Jonah. <laughs> in other words, Jonah was not drowning anymore. He was drinking. He was drink. He was downing the tank. <laughs> so from Jonah in tank to tank in Jonah. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? But God takes those kind of people and turns them around. When you read in Galatians 1 and Paul began to speak of his track record. Let's go see it. Those statements were very heavy and caustic. He said, I wasted the church and spoiled it. Did you see this? Galatians chapter 1. And let's see Apostle Paul speaking. And um, let's read from verse, uh, is it chapter 1? We're looking at, okay. Sorry. Let's start from verse 12. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it by the revelation of, Je by of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past, in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation. Being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Did you see that? He said, I persecuted the church. I wasted it. Did you see that? He was hell-bent on stopping the gospel of Jesus Christ. But notice what became of him eventually. He said, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him, did you see this, among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Did you see that? And then if you skip over in verse 22, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyeth. That's what God can make out of an unbeliever. God can turn the one persecuting the church to become a preacher. A chief apostle. So now I look at people who criticize pastors. Don't worry. Don't kill them. Don't use prayer to curse them. What will happen is that their children will become pastors and their children will suffer greater persecution. Mm. Is that why you say that? Is not, is that what not even greater than a curse? No, it's not a curse. Or they themselves do not become pastors. And then what they sow, they will reap. Because Apostle Paul suffers serious persecution more than the rest. Because he too, he persecuted the church. Uh -huh. Uh, you are getting it, have you? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So those of you, know, you, say they, you say pastors are thieves. Don't worry. Your children will become pastors. Then they will not be calling not just your children thieves, but you mother of thieves. <laughs> King of thieves. <laughs> then it will pay you very well. The only ghost you remind you should be used to you call people thieves in the ministry. Are you getting what I'm saying now? Tell your neighbors, such were some of some of you. <laughs> And you see, one of the reasons why we place honor and we honor unbelievers is because of the plan of God for their lives. There is something God intends to make out of their lives. We must always see that. We must always see that. And we must learn to honor whatever God honors. We must learn to honor whatever God honors. So there is a general call to honor all men. I'll give you one more tonight. Honor the king. Honor the king. In 1 Peter 2.17... Apostle Peter writing said, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And so we begin to look at different levels of honor that we give as it pertains to different phases of our lives. 
And we're looking at the honor for kings here in verse 13 and 14 of that same first peter 2 apostle peter writing says submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or to governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well so notice the word ordinance here refers to institutions never forget that the word ordinance here refers to institutions that is human institutions so that would imply every governing structure in human society and you will find this everywhere you go in government institutions educational institutions traditional institutions and the likes so peter when he says to honor every submit to every ordinance of man the word ordinance is institution so when you see human constituted institutions we are to submit to them. A student in the university system, secondary school system, as a believer, you should submit to the leadership of your school. Now, there's nothing wrong if students have agitations and then uh, we don't go agree, we don't go agree. But when you're, we don't go agree, we don't go agree, turn to, uh, you now call the name of your vice chancellor. He said, he's a goat. You are, you are sinning. You are sinning. I know some of you probably were thugs when you were in university. <laughs> uh, that's how I was telling you to tell the people around the subject, some of you, we are getting into it now. <laughs> Some of you were terrorists <laughs> in the university system. I know those days they'll say, course, not the affect student. Ah. <laughs> well, let me tell you, true, course, not the affect student until he graduates. <laughs> uh -huh. Because by the time he graduates, he's no longer a student. <laughs> huh. Maybe nobody told you. I'm just telling you now. <laughs> until he graduates. No affect student, no problem. But you will not be a student forever. Uh -huh. Because you see, when you read the word of God, you will notice, like I told you, honor has to be learned. You probably didn't know that that was wrong. Say, so we have agitations. We have agitations. And then you begin to speak against the VC. When I was in OAU as an undergraduate student, my first year, the, the vice chancellor at that time was Professor Roger. Makonjola, he was a, he, uh, it's, not a, it's not a full Nigerian, he's an Afghan, you know, medical doctor. Very tall man like that. You see, you know, there was an aluta on campus in my 100 level, and the student union boy, they went to the senior building, and I tell you real life story, they dragged that man down. An old man. Yes. They dragged him down, they beat him. I'm telling you, they dragged him down from the senate. Yes. When I'm on the level, that, and you see, of course, they shut down the school. We're at home for 11 months. So you had a house strike. How, how many months was this your house strike? <laughs> your strike didn't learn work now. So, that after that 11 months, in my second year, we had another eight months. Yes. We, we experienced strike. <laughs> so you, you imagine that level of rascality. And there was no name, unprintable words they used for the vice chancellor. And they did that for many more after him. Did you see this? In the name of agitation. But now when we come to the word of God as believers, we see this is completely out of order. Completely out of order. Because what the word of God says here is to submit to the ordinance of men. Governments are God's wisdom in human society. Without that, there will be anarchy, chaos. It's the wisdom of God. For there to be that structure of governance in human society. That's God's wisdom for man. And so when Peter says to submit yourselves to every ordinance, 
Again, it means institution. And he says, we do it for the Lord's sake. In other words, don't forget what we started from John 5, 23. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father that sent him. The implication, therefore, when he says, for, for the Lord's sake, I consider here speaking, means, therefore, when you do not submit to the institutions of man in human society, it is God you are kicking against. Are you getting what this is saying now? It is God you are kicking against. No matter how many tongues you speak in church, when you don't submit to government ordinances, you are sinning against God. Breaking traffic lights, insulting last man. <laughs> We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. <laughs> oh my goodness. I won't, I won't remind you of that story. <laughs> you know, you know, there's a story my father-in-law always says. He said, oh, they reported one lady in his church to him from a place of work. And he said, what did you do? And when they told him, he said, even he looked at her and said, how can you be like this? Said, she abused, she insulted somebody at her boss. And said, where did you go? You go made in Nigeria. made in Nigeria. How can you talk to a human being like that? <laughs> I believe it's said it was that lady that inspired me that day. Because <laughs> those last man guys, they wanted to harass me. They were lying against me. They wanted to collect my money. So I called one of my boys who's in the, who's in the army. He spoke to them on the phone. He shakarad them. And then the man told me, the guy stoned me with my phone. The last man guy. So he had crossed the line. He stoned me. So I just, I just looked at him like this. I said, boy, you won't be only. <laughs> I rolled down the window. I wanted him to hear. <laughs> if I was one of them, the ladies, she was just there looking, looking at us. Oh, but she will be only. <laughs> he pegs the woman. I heard her looking at her and I said, what kind of man is this? I just, <laughs> I just drove off. Oh my goodness. I was by myself so I could be myself. <laughs> because if you were there, you wouldn't let me talk. <laughs> oh, God have mercy upon us. <laughs> I'll never do that again. No. <laughs> because last mind is an ordinance of God. I know it's hard to, to accept. <laughs> oh my God. He's so hard. Hey, look at him. I say, You, ordinance. Nigerian police. I say you. No, not be you then they talk for. Apostle Peter, no know you. He no cover you. <laughs> oh my God. And let me tell you, because that's a classic lesson in honor. The honor we give to people is not because of them. It's because of the value God placed on them. It's because of the value that the Lord placed on them. And I tell you, of course, I've, I've since never, you know, disrespected LASMA or any, any security people, especially even the ones that are not even ordinance, because there are, you know, <laughs> you know, there are security guards in my estate. I'm not sure whether those ones qualify to be ordinance 
Hoffnung, Hoffnung. Ja, there's a part you pass, you pass by and then they, they always need you to show your pass before you can be allowed to driving. And sometimes you are just you know not in the mood for all those kind of things. Oga open gate and let me pass. And of course, never insulted them before, but sometimes that's Oga beg open the gate, Joe. And you know, the Holy Ghost has walked on me to the point where he says, but they are doing their job. So why are you complaining? And I've trained myself to stop complaining about it. So I, I will gladly just show them and then and then drive. That's what I'm saying now. Yeah. So don't, don't go and use the excuse now and say, if dad looked at somebody and say, oh, Rubuji, you will be only. So you, you now go and say, to them, in your own case, they may just catch you and say, wait till you talk. Oh, yeah, come down. You, you're not, don't ask us, stay inside saying, ah, dad, is that that taught me? You? I'm not here. Oh. I'm repented, though. <laughs> And you see, because that's the word of God. Honor them. Because sometimes you look at it and like, these ones don't deserve it. Hey, we don't honor people because they deserve it. We honor them because God placed the value on them. When you bring this down to your family, you know, and the truth is, I, I can imagine for people who grew up in homes where maybe a father became irresponsible, you know, didn't live an exemplary life, and by his actions, you know, there's nothing dignifying about his life. And I can imagine how that might feel. But let me say to you, in spite of his shortcomings, he is still your father. And by the word of God, you must give him his honor. And that's just the reality of it. And that's why you notice that honor is made possible because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. That's the truth of it. It's made possible because the Holy Ghost lives inside of us. And I'll say this as we close tonight, that, that you honor such a man, for example, does not mean you are endorsing his wrong behavior. Honor does not endorse wrong behavior. Honor is independent of that man's behavior. And that's something you've got to learn. That you honor a person when you can obviously see their misbehavior does not mean you are endorsing the misbehavior. Because that's the problem of some funny woke folks in this generation. So because you feel a person has a shortcoming, so you think you now have a right no, you don't have the right. It's beyond you. It's beyond you. It's beyond you. And that you honor a person does not in any way mean that you endorse their wrongdoing. And as I'm saying to you, you grew up in a family where you're, maybe your dad or your mom, you know, and over the years I've had, you know, cause to pastor people who come from homes like that. From the very get-go of my ministry, many of them were very young at that time. They were mad. They were angry. I know people who met their mothers and reconciled with their mother in my house. I mean, in my sitting room. Yeah? That it was in front, it's right in front of me like this, that she saw her mother for the first time in her grown-up life. Yeah? And that was because I had preached and thought about it. No matter what happened with your dad and your mom, your father is still your father, your mother is still your mother. You will soon know as you grow. You will soon realize it. Are you getting what I'm saying now? Yeah? And I remember I used to say in those days, even if your father is a wizard and your mother is a witch and they both fly in noonday, at noonday. You know, they're like that pestilence that flies at noonday. <laughs> Eating people and killing people and sucking blood openly. He see your father. At least you still owe him to honor him as a human being God created. But much more, as we look in this teaching by the grace of God in the coming weeks, much more the fact that he has occupied that place. Honor thy father and thy mother, that it may be well with you, and that thou mightest live long. I will show you scriptures when we get there. The Bible says, He that curses father and mother, he says, his light shall be put out. 
Dangerous stuff. He didn't say honor your father and mother if they behave well. He didn't say honor your father and mother if, if, if they are always, if their marriage is fine. He didn't say that. He just said honor thy father and mother, period. You will also become a father one day. We're going to see how your marriage is going to be. How would you want your children to treat you? Are you hearing what I'm saying now? So you got to wake up to this. Sometimes some of you, you need to be careful. Over the years, I've always taught it. In any family, the marriage of the parents is none of the business of the children. You don't poke your nose into your father's marriage to your mother. It's none of your business. When they saw each other and married each other, you were not there. You get the point? Yeah. You got it? Yeah. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So oh, your dad has a quarrel with your mom. Oh, you know, they, they, they're always fighting. They're always raising their voices at each other. You in your own estimation, your own eyes. You think your dad is unfair to your mom or your mom is unfair to your dad. And so you now want to fight for your mom or you want to fight for your dad. Then you stand up to your dad one day. Or you stand up to your mom and say, Mom, what kind of wife are you? What kind of mother are you? Is this the way to be a mother? Is this the way to be a wife? You, you open your mind to talk to your mother like that. You're a fool. You're a big fool. Who gave you the right? Or you confront your father like that and say, how dare you? If you ever raise your hand against my mother again, I will blow you. Tell your father that. You're a big fool, my friend. You need deliverance from your foolishness. Because it will soon kill you like Nabal. You say, oh, should I not be looking at him to beat my mother? Of course, you shouldn't be looking at him to rescue your mother, carry her away. Receive some beatings on her behalf and escape with her. Everything you do, don't get in the line of confrontation against your father. You will regret it. You can never fight your father and win. Even if you beat him, you lost. You know what you lost? Your future. Only foolish children behave like that. Because you were not there when they met each other. So it is none of your business. The best you can do for your parents if you see their marriage in shambles and they are hurting each other is to pray for them. And if you know anybody in authority over their lives, go look for that person to help intervene. You see, you must understand, like Paul said, and I quoted earlier on Romans 12, 3, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Don't stand in a place that God didn't put you. You will kill yourself there. If you are not a person above certain people, don't try to play the role that those people are supposed to play. If you're playing a role beyond your level, you will kill yourself. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's like Uzzah. He was not in his place. He stretched his hand to the ark. He lost his life. You got to be careful with things like this. There are many people, their struggles in life is traceable to this disorder. You brought yourself into disorderliness. You're trying to play the role of the Oloriabi of your family. Who are you? How old are you? What do you know? Some of these cases, you don't even know the genesis. You know, there are marriages that are so, 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 so degenerated that your dad and your mom have never told you the genesis of their problem. You only grew up to see it. And you are trying to be the umpire and preside over a matter for which you don't know the origin. Why don't you save your own future and face your own marriage that is about to, to start? Because if you are not careful that your anger against your parents in their marriage is going to open your life for that same thing to repeat itself. And it will be worse on your own time if you allow it. Because no matter how bad the family you come from, your own life can be an exception. Yes, it should be an exception. Yes, God wants it to be an exception. Yes, but you must understand the way to get there. You cannot conquer what you are angry at. And you have refused to forgive. Because anger is, a, is an initial reaction, but it doesn't create anything. After your anger, calm down now. So what is the way out? But if you remain angry and remain angry, you will not be better. That thing will overwhelm you eventually. So it's okay to be angry at first, but you can't be angry forever. 
So you calm down. Like I said, I can imagine, I've pastored many people like that. I can imagine the pain of growing up and not having the joy of parents in love to watch over you. It's painful. I can only imagine, I grew up in a home where my parents have always been together all their lives. I've been married for over 50 years now. I'm, you can't separate my dad from my mom. When we had our children in Ife, my mother came. When we had David, my mom came to Ife. In two weeks, she left. Whether mom was watching as an apprentice is her business. <laughs> as soon as my mother came, she made it clear. I'm not here to stay home. So everything I'm doing, start learning how to wash your, your baby, your baby, because we don't leave ourselves. Two weeks, she was back home. That's where my parents have always, they've always been together all their lives. But I, I've seen the pain many children have suffered. People have suffered in their life because, you see, when that marriage ruptures, their children suffer a lot. And I've seen people who are in that pain and anger against their parents. They hate their parents. Some people say it with their mouth. Even the Christians, I hate them. I hate that man. But listen, you're not an adult. They made their choice. It's time to make your own choice. You see, you cannot, your life cannot continually be at the mercy of the wrong choices of your parents. There comes a time where you must wake up because now you're an adult. You can now make your own choice. You see, there is the power of right choices that cancel wrong choices. So they, make wrong, they, they made wrong choices that affected you growing up. Now you are old enough to make your own right choices. Make right choices that will cancel their wrong choices in your life. And I can tell you this, this will affect your life positively. You, you, don't un, you can't even undo what your parents have done. You can't go back. What you can do now is focus on your own life. And if you make the right choices, your life will be better. And you will escape from the effects of your wrong choices for life. Because there are no perfect homes anywhere. So that your daddy that you still think is the biggest monster ever. You need to go and see other people's daddy. Is Dracula. <laughs> Dracula Pro Max. <laughs> Absent somebody whose mother left them and she never wanted to have anything to do with them. Somebody in the Bible says, can a woman forget her suckling child? Isaiah says she can. And there are women who do that. And you see, when a child grows up in that kind of family, the pain of the rejection is almost unbearable. To feel like your own mother never wanted you. Or you see a child, maybe we told you the story why your father and your mother are not together and your mother had to raise you as a single mom. Was because your father didn't accept or take responsibility for the pregnancy. And then you grow up to see that man one day and say, so she is this the, and then you know all kinds of unprintable words are coming out and say, this the, this the, this the, this the whatever, whatever that did not want me. Ah, oh, he wants you know. <laughs> you know, begin to, to cause them. <laughs> and you're mad at the man, and, and mad at the man. And then you come to church, and then you're filled with the Holy Ghost, and you're hearing the word of God. Now you know you have the power of God inside of you. And the first thing you're thinking in your mind is, I will use that power to show that man. And next thing Jesus is saying to you, you that's the man you will start with. You will forgive him. Joyce Meyer was raped severally by her father as a little girl. Severally for years. I mean years. Raped by her own father. For many years. Do you know the, the last years of that man's life, she was the one that was taking care of him. She led him to Christ. She baptized him. Led him to Christ. Took care of him in his last dying days. And you wonder, how was she able to do that? Only God can make that possible. Only God. Only God. You know, sometimes when you look from, from the human standpoint, there are some cases where you feel like, ah, ah, what kind of mercy is this? I don't want this mercy. But that's why you're not God. As I told you earlier, you look at the unsaved and you also look at the misgivings of men in the light of what God has done concerning it. That's what helps us. Did God not see all those things? He saw them. Yet, chooses to say, I'm going to save that person. What will you do if you get to heaven and you see a bacha? <laughs> or Samuel do? Idi Amin. Who again? Adolf Hitler. 
Benito Mussolini. <laughs> Mobutu Seseko. <laughs> See all those names. Their names sound alike. <laughs> what will you do when you get to heaven and you see them? And alas, you see them wearing crown of glory. <laughs> you just say, Eba Mbo. Ebo for me. Come out of here. No sense. <laughs> Say, now, you, now your time they wear crown. Now your time they wear crown. Now crown of thorns they're supposed to give you. <laughs> that's, what, what you, that's what you would think. That's what you, you would want. But God is not like man. He doesn't see things the way man sees things. After all, the thief on the, on the cross, God saved at the last minute. What if idea mean God saved on his deathbed? What if a bachelor received Christ? Are you going to take up issues with God? God, excuse me, God. I have a question. <laughs> That's the title of a message by Reverend George many years ago. Excuse me, God. I have a question. <laughs> you get to heaven and say, Lord, no, no, no. We have to settle this matter. Explain yourself, Lord. How come? That's how. <laughs> I know Jesus is the way to do that in life. Which way did this one enter this place? Through which way? <laughs> Through which way? Which way? <laughs> After all they said and did. No, Lord. In fact, some people will be so crazy, they will say, if this heaven is where this people will be, I don't want to. We can't be in this heaven. <laughs> you think they are far-fetched. A brother in this church told mom and I one time of the church where he grew up. And when there was a church split and a serious quarrel in the church, he said some elders stood up and they were saying, he heard them, and they were saying, even if this matter will make them go to hell, they are ready. Yes, elders of a church. Say, on this case, <laughs> hey, people are crazy. Say, on this matter, if I go to hell, I don't mind. <laughs> Say that, he also go to hell. <laughs> My God, people can get canal to that point. Yeah, yes, Christ died for them. Christ died for them. And if Christ died for them and forgave them, how much more you? You know, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, Whoever you forgive, are forgiving the person. Are you seeing this? So we don't honor people because of them primarily. We honor people because of the value, their worth God has placed on them. Were you blessed tonight? Glory to God. You've been listening to the teaching of God's Word, brought to you by God's Heritage of Faith Church. Our mission is raising stronger believers. For more information about our church or to get more of our live transforming resources, visit our website at www.hofng.org. God bless you.